Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Great. How are we doing? We okay? Good, good. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Who loves that? Um, we are not a perfect church. Who loves that? We're not perfect, but we're trying our best. And um, it's great to see you this morning. If it's your first time, just sit back and relax and just enjoy the service. Um, so who was here last week? A few people, yeah. So we started a new series last week called Bring On The Wall. And I'm going to continue with that today. And this series comes from the life and the book of Nehemiah in the Bible. So let's jump straight into it. Nehemiah 2 verse 17 to 18 says this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Now we'll come back to that. In just a second, but my little boy, you may have heard him in worship this morning. I, the Bible says make a joyful noise. I'm not sure how joyful the noise is when he's singing at the moment. It's sort of like just noise at the moment, but, but I'm encouraging that. Judah is he's three and he's going on four, which is he's pretty scary for us as parents. He just seems to be growing so quick. And he's sort of at that age where we're teaching him about manners and about being honest and responding correctly. And, and the fact that the whole world doesn't revolve around him. I wonder where he gets that from. <laughs> just, a few weeks, so just a few weeks ago, they were both playing, Judah and Willow, in the playroom. And, and parents in here will know this, that when there's noise and like crying and shouting, everything is fine. Like there's no problem at all. But as soon as the room goes quiet, there's a problem. <laughs> Silence always means there's a problem when it's kids. So I shouted through to the kids and, and go, Judah, is everything okay? And Judah quickly came back to me. Everything's fine, daddy. My interest was piqued even more at this point. So I walk through to the playroom. The kids are nowhere to be seen. I can just hear rustling behind the settee. So I go behind the settee. They both squeeze themselves behind there. And there's like, there must be like 15 sweet wrappers on the floor. I was like, guys, that is so naughty. You don't just go and help yourselves to chocolate. And Judah went, it wasn't me, daddy. It was Willow. <laughs> See, this would have been more believable if he hadn't had chocolate all around his mouth. Kids are funny. That's just our lives with kids at the moment. See, we're trying to teach Judah about work. So when he empties his toy room, when like, he just made a crazy mess, looks like a bomb site, we're like, Judah, okay, tidy this back up. Or when he comes to the end of dinner, Judah, put your dish away. Or whatever it may be. We're just trying to t- teach him about this. Now, He's normally phenomenal, but sometimes he'll just throw out a no. Like, kids are so honest, aren't they? Like, we'd never do that, would we? Paul, will you just help me here? No. <laughs> and that's what Judah does sometimes. So, the other week, I left my phone upstairs on my bed, and I thought, being a great dad I am, this is a great teaching moment. <laughs> so, I was like, Judah, and will you go upstairs and get daddy's phone from bed? No. <laughs> okay, I was like, 
Come on. You know how you do it with parents. <laughs> Come on, Judah. Will you just go upstairs, please, mate, and get my phone from bed? No. So I did what all great dads do. I said, Come, mate, I'll time you. Like, trying to like, bring the competition element in there. No, not all. Now, finally, he did get my phone. I'm not saying that chocolate was involved, but I'm not saying it wasn't either, if you get where I'm coming from. But he did get my phone, so I won. (laughs) If you're new this morning, like, this guy is a bad dad. Can someone please call child services? But do you know that when someone asks you a question, when someone asks you something, your response is always up to you, isn't it? I mean, if you wanted to, you could, for the rest of your life, you could say no to every, every question ever asked of you. You know, so when the wife asks you to clean the dishes, you could just try no. Or, or, or when the husband says, can I watch football, ladies? No. no. You could try that. <laughs> you could try that. I don't know how good it would be. Or when that neighbor comes around for the cup of sugar, you could say no. I mean, I don't know. Do people still do the cup of sugar thing? I don't think so. I've never been asked for a cup of sugar. But you get where I'm coming from. Our, our response matters. And today, we're going to look at the response of the people of Jerusalem to Nehemiah. See, As we heard last week, Nehemiah had this huge vision given by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. See, these weren't like three foot tall walls that you have surrounding your garden. These were huge walls. I mean, there was this one wall called the Broad Wall. It was 20 feet thick. This was a big wall. But not only that, These walls have been down for a hundred years after multiple attacks on the city, after multiple raids, multiple lost battles. This city was in disgrace because these walls had been torn down. See, Nehemiah, this man, Nehemiah, is moved by the disgrace of his ethnic home, Jerusalem, and he needs to do something about it. These walls being broken Again, we might not understand it today, but back then these walls being broken meant that the city was was a joke. It meant that the city was a complete mess. It meant that there could be no value held in the city because the people could not protect the city itself. So everything just had to, if there was anything of value, another country wouldn't even think about coming and taking from the city. They were vulnerable to attack. They were weak and despised. And no one would have thought twice about attacking them. See, Jerusalem was on track to being another forgotten about city that had experienced former glory. Even the Jewish people didn't want to go back there. Because when we, when we find this, uh, this account in Nehemiah, the, the guys, they were free to go back to Jerusalem. And about two million people were taken into slavery from Jerusalem. And do you know how many we find in Nehemiah that had gone back? 50,000. Even the people of Jerusalem didn't want to go back there. They didn't want to go back to this broken town. And he stands Nehemiah in front of the leaders and people saying, come on, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. See, I'm sure Nehemiah went into this conversation, this speech prayed up because this had the potential to go very, very wrong. 
You know, like me asking my little boy, these people could have just said no. See, Nehemiah didn't live there. It was just his ethnic home. He lived 800 miles away in a palace. They could have said, Nehemiah, you don't know. You don't know what we've been through, Nehemiah. We've tried to rebuild the wall. And people keep coming and raiding the town and knocking it down again. Nehemiah, you don't know that there's not enough of us. It's hard enough to protect my own house. Never mind this huge rebuilding project. No, just leave us, Nehemiah, and come back again. But they didn't. Nehemiah's vision was so compelling that these people responded by saying, let us rebuild the wall. See, they were on board. They were bought in and they were going to throw themselves into this. See, the mandate on Arena Church is huge. At the moment, as Jared's already said, we're one church in two locations, soon to be one church in five locations, which is exciting, isn't it? We've got a huge mandate on our church, a huge vision, and it's to go and grow and love and serve our world. And what does that mean for us here at Mansfield? It means that we're going to go, grow, love and serve this town right here. And that's huge for us. See, I'm believing that God is going to do something through our community here at Arena that we're going to see this town changed by God. See, I believe that we've only just begun. It might be nice to look around and see 100 people, but I believe that this is just the start of what God's doing. See, I believe that God's going to lead you into more influence in your workplace, in your family, in that business, wherever it may be, because the church of Christ is called to be influential. See, I believe that this is just the start for our community projects. I think Care for a Coffee has just got going wherever you are, Louise and Leslie, that God's got more to come. I believe that this town is going to start asking us to come and help them as we show our heart for people. Who believes that this morning? See, I believe that people are going to flood through these doors as husbands, wives, sons and daughters come back to Jesus as he works through this community. We have a big calling, but just like Nehemiah, this can't just be achieved by a few. See, if Nehemiah would have had this big vision, this big dream, this big this big calling to go and rebuild the walls, but it was just him on his own turning up with his shovel. Let me tell you, he wouldn't have got very far. The reason they could complete this project was because the people bought in. Are we going to come together as the people of God to take hold of what he has for us? You might be thinking, it can't happen in Mansfield, Josh. Have you seen the condition of the town? Have you heard the reports? Have you heard about the hurt of the people, about the addiction? No, Josh, it can't happen here. But I'm here today to tell you if God can do it there in Jerusalem, he can do it here. If God can do it in Sydney, Australia, he can do it here. If God can do it in London, he can do it here. What did God say? He said, I will pour out my spirit on all men. He didn't say, I'll just pour out my spirit on Sydney or London or America. All men. And I believe that's for us here at Mansfield as well. God wants to build his church here. Let's not hide behind barriers anymore saying, no, it's just Mansfield. Let's leave it to Nottingham. Let's leave it to Sheffield. No, no, no. God's saying, Mansfield, it's your time to step up. It's your time to shine. Isn't it funny how Jesus, the saviour of heaven and earth, was born in a place that was despised? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Haven't you heard that about about Mansfield? 
I believe that God's going to use this church to show people that it isn't about geographical location. It isn't just about natural resource. It's about God getting hold of a group of people. See, just like in Jerusalem, we're building into the church Jesus has called us to be. And if we're going to build anything, what do you need? Builders. Builders. I want us to look at Nehemiah 3 today and how these people went about this rebuilding project. So Nehemiah 3 verse 1 to 2 said this, Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated. And as far as the tower of Hananel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section and Zakor, son of Imri, built next to them. See, the first thing I see here from Nehemiah 3 is that we work for God. Our work is for God. Now, these people who come together, we see that in these opening lines. We see that they dedicated their work to God. I don't think it's, it's any fault that the first piece of work that we see them do, they dedicate to God. In other translations, is you read, this is just one translation of the Bible we're looking at here, the New International Version. But in other translations, it says that they consecrated their work to God. See, what these people realised was this, that although Nehemiah had brought the vision, although they were working under his leadership and direction, these people knew ultimately that they were working for God. See, this word consecrated, it means to be set apart, to be declared sacred. And you'd say this makes no sense if you don't understand who you work for. So they weren't building a temple They weren't building an altar. They were rebuilding the sheep gate, it says. The sheep gate, uh, the, the reason it was called the sheep gate was because shepherds brought the sheep into the town through that gate. It wasn't a special gate. So why were they dedicating this to God? Why would they consecrate it? Like we do, children, when we say, God, thank you for this child. See, they dedicated it because they understood their work was for the Lord. They were showing God that right at the start, they were going to honour God. That right at the start, the sheep gate would be the sign that their work was for God. So this is why I love spending time with God at the start of each day. To dedicate my day to Him. To dedicate my work and my relationships and my life to Him. So when you understand who you work for, it transforms the way you work. As Christians, we should have the best work ethic in the world because our work is not just for that boss or just for that leader. Our work is for the Lord. So this stops you cutting corners. It stops you giving 50%. This stops you turning in bad work because the work that we do, we do for God. You know a great way to see if you struggle with this? is if you're constantly looking for recognition from people. If you're constantly looking for credit for what you've done. People leave churches, fall out with friends, change jobs because they aren't getting the credit that they feel they deserve. See, I thank God here at Arena, we don't have lots of people clambering for credit. Instead, we have teams with a servant heart who want to build God's church. 
We want to recognise and honour and support. It's who we are here. But I want to tell you this. I would far rather be recognised by God than recognised by people. I want to thank you this morning. Like You've been so, um, so honouring and loving to Helen and I in these first few months. And we thank you for that. And people are so encouraging. It's amazing. And we need to continue with that. But I need to tell you this morning. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it for God. We love you. We're doing it together. But ultimately, our work is for the Lord. See, I've seen people take this to an extreme as well and say things like, only God can judge me. (laughs) I'm taking my ministry elsewhere just because they don't like what someone said. We've seen that, haven't we? Who's seen that? Come on, we can be honest this morning. Only God can judge me. See, this, was, this isn't a, a smack in the face to leadership. Remember this, God worked through Nehemiah. God gave the vision and the calling to Nehemiah. These people were working with Nehemiah and alongside Nehemiah. This isn't a smack in the face to leadership. This is actually goes hand in hand because Nehemiah, as well as these people, understood that the work was for the Lord. See, when you work for God, nothing is wasted. When you work for God, it's always seen by him. You may have seen your work in churches as second class because you maybe don't stand on this stage or lead worship. But I need to tell you today that that is a lie from the devil. God has placed each of us in this church with different gifts to build this church. Whether you're a welcomer or a cleaner or on resource hub or hospitality or a worshipper or a small group leader or on car park, you have a gift and God uses that. Your gift is valuable and God sees it. Let me tell you this this morning. If it was just me showing up on this stage and this church would be a joke. We have no church without you. We have no church without people who turn up early and leave late to lock up and clean up and tidy up. Our work is for the Lord. See, there are people here this morning and you feel like your service has been wasted. I need to tell you today that God sees it. He appreciates you and he he honours you for it. It's never wasted when it's for God. Can we be a church that serves just as heartily when only God is watching as when the whole world is watching? Let's go on to verse 6 to 12. It says this. Now bear with me here. There's a lot of interesting names. It says this. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joida, son of Paseah, and Meshullam, son of Besediah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Malatia of Gibeon and Jaden of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad, broad wall. Rufiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Judiah, son of Haramath, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. Malkijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pehath Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of half a district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help 
of his daughters. I didn't do too bad, did I? <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure I was speaking English then. <laughs> I had like an out-of-body experience, right? So you might say, what are you talking about, Josh? I just see lots of strange names. And this is the, so sometimes when we read through the Bible and you come to it and you, you see a list like that, you think, yeah, that's just a list and that's great to see. But I love this passage when you dig a bit deeper because what it shows me is this. God's looking for available people. See, these lines of scripture seem borderline ridiculous. They're a bit of a joke because they've got a goldsmith, a perfume maker, a ruler of a district and, a, and, and some guy's daughters pitching in to build a wall. They weren't qualified. They didn't have the, the right criteria to go and build this wall. See, everyone pitched in. They got involved. And I think this is a big thing in church, that people don't see where they can serve, so they use it as an excuse not to serve, to sit on the sidelines. We see throughout the Bible that God doesn't use just the most gifted, he uses the most available. See, I've found throughout my life that as I've been available to God, as I've been planted in his house, he's used me in ways that I could never imagine. If I take you back to when I was 16, back then I I thought that my life serving God was going to be worship leading. And if you've been in this church long enough, you had the pleasure of seeing that and hearing that. That's a joke. (laughs) But that's what I thought. That's what I thought it was going to be until one day I was asked to to serve on the youth team and I I, I was just available to God. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And And then another time I got asked to speak and like I said, was just available to God, and until a few years later, then we got asked by a Christian, our lead pastor, to, to say, look, would you like to take on the youth? And Helen and I, we were just available to God. We said, said yes, and right to the point where I stand here today, in the bullseye, God's calling on my life. I never thought it'd go this way, to be honest. Back, back then when I was 16, I thought this was maybe a bit of the mug's job. You know, turn up with my guitar, do a bit. <laughs> yeah, that was good. But God, through making myself available, through planting myself in his house, he used me and revealed gifts to me that I never knew I had. See, if there's one thing that I'm dedicated to being in my life, it's available to be used by God. See, it would have been so easy for these people to sit on the sidelines in their homes and observe the more qualified people doing the work. But they didn't do that. They said, we're going to contribute in any way possible. I'm going to be available to be used by Nehemiah and ultimately by God. Do you think that that guy's daughters, they could could lift the, the bricks? Probably not. Could they mix the cement however they did it? Probably not. But they could do something. And that's the thing today is this. Are you available to God? Are you available to be used by him? I want to ask you today, where can you contribute? Where can you bring your gift? This is not a church built on one person. This is a church built on every single person in this place, brick by brick, by Jesus. We are the church collectively. So you might not feel you're called to a certain team, but the best thing you can do is this, just serve. It's just serve. Join a team, try it out and see what God does. Psalm 92 verse 13, a bit of a life verse for me says this, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. 
See, when a branch is disconnected from a tree, it withers and dies. But when it's connected to a tree, it can grow and flourish. And this is the imagery that the psalmist is using here. He's saying, don't get disconnected. Don't cut yourself off. Don't just treat church like another event. Don't just come and go. Get involved. Get planted and see what God does through your life as you get planted in his house. You might say, Josh, you don't know my situation. You don't know my life. You don't know the way it is. But I want to say to you this today. There's always a solution. There's always a way. Come and talk to somebody. We want to get you planted in this house. Now, I also want to bring a special mention to Malkijah, son of Harim here, back in this verse. Because it's not clear in this text, but this man's also mentioned in Ezra 10. But in Ezra, this wasn't a positive mention. See, Malkijah was one of the people who Ezra had rebuked because he had taken on a pagan wife. And here we are, probably 20, 30 years later, and Malkijah is rebuilding the walls. See, I think this is so important because this shows us that this man was restored. He caught himself right with God and was used to restore Jerusalem because of that. Now, I don't know your past here today, where you're from or what you've done, but I want to say this morning, don't let your past dictate your future. So you might have refrained from getting on that team because you don't feel good enough or you feel like you've had, a, you've had a, maybe a bad experience previously. Don't let that happen. See, the devil's called the accuser of the brethren because what he wants to do is this. He wants to remind you why you can't. He remi- wants to remind you why you're not good enough, why you can't get involved, why you can't join that small group. But I'm here today to remind you that you can. You can be restored. You can be made whole. And the past is not wasted. And God would say to you today, I have still got a part for you to play. Does anyone believe that this morning? Yeah. See, if, if we want God's church to make an impact in this town, If we want to see Mansfield transformed by God, we need your gift. We need you serving. We need you flourishing. We need you to live in your God-given calling, being sent into the world from this church, having your calling fueled by the covering of this house. Our town needs you to flourish. And finally, let's look at verse five. It says this, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. We see here that everybody didn't get involved, that not everybody jumped in. See, the nobles of the men of Tekoa are the only people who were noted for their lack of work. These nobles thought they were too important, too lofty for hard work. Literally, the, the idea in the Hebrew is that they wouldn't submit to God. They wouldn't bend their necks to the work of God. The real issue for these men was submission. Maybe they thought they knew better or didn't like the way Nehemiah was doing it, but these people will come to regret it as the only names who were noted for their lack of work. I'm sure they had negative things to say about Nehemiah, about his project, about his passion, about his calling. I'm sure they wanted to bring him down. I'm sure they said it had never happened. They made fun out of the friends who maybe were going to to work on, on this thing. 
Maybe they said they'll never rebuild this wall. They're going about it all the wrong way. Someone will just come down and knock it down again. And because they wouldn't submit, when this wall was miraculously rebuilt in 52 days, when glory was restored to Jerusalem, these men would have no part in the celebrations. They wouldn't be invited to the parties. They would be on the outside because they could not lay themselves down for the larger vision. See, in our world today, people find it harder than ever to submit, to submit to God, to a leader, to vision. But if we want to see our world changed, if we want to see Mansfield transformed, it isn't going to happen through us all running our own way, us all doing our own thing. It's going to happen as we come together and lay ourselves down for the cause of Jesus Christ. I know that submission's not a, not a popular thing to talk about today, but let me tell you, we're called to submit to God as followers of Jesus. What did Jesus do himself? The very essence of the Bible, the central theme of the Bible is a man who laid down his life because what his father had said. What did Jesus do on that cross? He laid down his life so the world could be changed. The invitation to us today as followers of God is this. Can we lay our lives down to see God move through us? I know it's not popular. I know it's not edgy. I know it's maybe not something that people are going to clap at. But that's what God's calling us to. Me and you say, God, we're going to lay our lives down to see you move in this town. God, I'm going to lay down my agenda. God, I'm going to lay down the way I exactly want it done.